0: From Bedford to Cowdersport, Connellsville to State College, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, what is being done to protect the nation's infrastructure against an electromagnetic pulse attack? State Representative Daryl Metcalf is here to talk about threats to the security of the power grid. In an effort to make Penn's Woods more competitive in attracting new businesses and jobs... The legislature recently cut the corporate net income tax. Eric Montardi and Benjamin Sievers have an Allegheny Institute report. And President Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan is another example of the government leaving us worse off than before it got involved. So says Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity, Pennsylvania, on this week's Lincoln Radio Journal Commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to State Representative Daryl Metcalf in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com. State House Democrats are pushing a plan to establish a trust fund to provide long-term care services and to fund it with an increase in the personal income tax. It could be more costly than that, as the tax rate would be required to, quote, maintain the actuarial solvency of the plan. The proposal is modeled after a Washington state program that establishes an entirely new entitlement program. That program is having difficulty launching, with critics warning it will ultimately require additional government subsidies to remain solvent. A report by the state's Independent Fiscal Office finds that while former students may benefit from President Biden's student loan forgiveness program, it will be nothing to address a bigger problem facing higher education a lack of students. The state system of higher education has lost more than 20 percent of its students from a decade ago. Despite ever increasing tax subsidies, the cost of higher education to students in the Commonwealth continues to rise as universities struggle to adjust to smaller enrollments. Pressure is building on Lt. Gov. John Fetterman to debate his Republican opponent for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Pat Toomey. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette this past week called on Fetterman to debate Republican nominee Dr. Mehmet Oz. Then Toomey himself appeared at a news conference with Oz, saying debate is an integral part of the job of a U.S. senator— and Fetterman must prove he is up to the task. Days before the primary, Fetterman suffered a stroke, which took him off the campaign trail for three months. He declined a debate proposed by KDKA-TV in Pittsburgh, with his campaign saying he still has communication issues resulting from the stroke. Oz, meanwhile, has called for a series of five debates between now and Election Day. An additional $175 million in funding to maintain state roads and bridges will be available to PennDOT during the coming year. That is because a portion of the state's Motor License Fund, which was only to have been used for highway and bridge maintenance, but had for years been diverted to the state police. The new state budget keeps that funding in the transportation budget. Those funds can also be used to help leverage federal transportation dollars. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. Among the threats to national security is a potential electromagnetic pulse attack, which would disrupt communication systems and the power grid. State Representative Daryl Metcalf represents the 12th Legislative District in Butler County. He is chairman of the House Environmental Resources and Energy Committee and recently held a hearing on the issue He's here to talk about it. Daryl, welcome back to Lincoln Radio Journal. Daryl, when we talk about an electromagnetic pulse or an electromagnetic pulse attack, what do we mean here? What are we exactly talking about?
1: The EMP, or something that could have a similar impact, would be a solar flare from the sun's activity, would cause a major disruption to both the electric grid and to electronic devices um, in the area that was impacted by it. I'd seen a resolution in my American Legion magazine that the American Legion had put forth to Congress, encouraging Congress to act in a way that would enable us to harden our grid for electricity and protect the security of America um, against a potential EMP attack, the electromagnetic pulse. Um, which is generated, could be generated, would most likely be generated from a nuclear weapon. And they, my understanding is they could ha- utilize a weapon that would not have the same nuclear impact as a normal nuclear weapon may have and still be able to generate an electromagnetic pulse. But the EMP would definitely be generated from a, a standard nuclear weapon And then they might even have weapons um, that could be utilized against other nations that would generate the EMP to disrupt electric grids, to disrupt electronics that are being utilized in a nation if a a nation was hostile and determined to use a weapon of that sort. So that's why we uh, came through the process of a committee meeting to consider a resolution Uh, To mirror a lot of what the resolution from the American Legion had encouraged Congress to do, I wanted to support the American Legion's efforts, so we we introduced the resolution, we had it moved to our committee, and then a move across the House floor to encourage Congress to deal with this issue in a way that protects our national interests, as the American Legion had been encouraging them to.
0: Is this something we need to be more and more concerned about, Darrell, because we see Russia and its battle with Ukraine and Putin. The war not going well. He's perhaps becoming more desperate. We have China rising as a military as well as an economic threat. Is this something that, in your view, should be higher on the agenda for Congress and the American people to be discussing?
1: I certainly believe it should be, and I believe it should be of interest to every state legislature in the nation. And we we who serve in the state legislatures in this United States of America, uh, we need to uh, stand together to push Congress in the right direction to protect our national interests, because we've seen them failing to do so on our borders, in our economy, uh, with the dealings with China and other nations, in the attack on uh, the Ukraine by Russia, the economic fallout that we have uh, felt from that, and just the policies that they've been adopting that have not Fostered an environment where we can actually support our country and other countries in these uh, turbulent times, but they're embracing policies that actually harm our people. Even if we weren't uh, there trying to support the Ukraine and the Russian invasion that they're uh, now trying to counter, so the the China with what's especially happened with Taiwan, uh, with the rattling of their sabers. I think uh, you know coming out of the pandemic, when people recognize that that China not only unleash this virus on us, on the world, but uh, that at the same time, they control a lot of the ingredients that go into pharmaceutical drugs that we would need to combat the virus and combat other illnesses. And when you dig deeper, as we've done in committee hearings, and you recognize that China also is the nation that actually processes and mines the majority of the of the minerals that we're using in our fighter jets and a lot of our technology and the solar technology, the rare earth minerals that are, being, that are being mined, that are being processed, the majority of those are coming from China. So we're, the world is dependent on China for the rare earth minerals that are going into a lot of the technology that's being used. The, the world has been um, really reliant on China for a lot of the, the PPE type equipment that we're that were being used to uh, combat the virus. So China has played a major role in the economy in both our country and the world. And when they start rattling sabers and making threats with Taiwan and they have nuclear capabilities, we know that they have shown no remorse for what they did worldwide with the virus. I I don't think they would be far-fetched to think that they would use weapons that could knock out electric grids and disable electronic devices. Um, if they uh, chose to be hostile more than they already are to our nation or any other.
0: You, as I mentioned, convened a hearing on this a couple of weeks ago. Can you talk a little bit about who talked to you, who testified at that (laughs) hearing, Darrell, and what did you learn about our ability to protect ourselves from an EMP attack?
1: We put together an informational meeting that that was an excellent presentation and it's archived. It's, it's there that can be sourced. Uh, if somebody goes to my website, they should be able to follow the, uh, the prompts to get to the archived uh, committee meeting or to the House Republican Caucus website. Uh, they should be able to find that archive if they would like to watch the presentations. But we had presentations from the uh, chairman of the Public Utility Commission. Uh, we had uh, Dr. Emanuel Bernabeu from the PJM Interconnection Uh, which is the uh, grid um, operators for Pennsylvania and multi-states that Pennsylvania is part of and the PGM connections. Dr. Randy Horton with Electric Power Research Institute and Tom Hofstetter with the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. Uh, Those three gentlemen, they sat on a panel together and when they spoke to us about their work on, on the EMP issue, solar flare issue, I think many of the members that were able to to watch or be present, we're, we're very uh, impressed with the information delivered and thankful that uh, out of the information that we received, it seems like we're better positioned than I think a lot of us would have expected to deal with uh, this type of an event. That there's tabletop type activities that have been occurring with uh, some of the uh, utility companies and the PUC um, over. I believe, as they said, I think it was the last couple of years they've been working on doing some of these tabletop type exercises to deal with an event where we would lose power to the major region of our country. This, you know, our state, a major region of our state, or you know, in multi-states under the PGM uh, umbrella.
0: You were talking a bit about ways to harden our power grid to repel an attack of this sort. Was any details presented at this hearing about what that sort of hardening would entail, what it would involve?
1: They spoke a little bit about some of the things that utility companies might be doing with various facilities to try and harden those, you know, to try and protect from uh, the EMP, but there wasn't any great detail given, as you really wouldn't wouldn't expect. But you don't want to let you know, the enemy or a bad actor out there that could get hold of a a weapon that could be utilized as it was explained to us, there could be a nuclear device that would be you know referred to as kind of a suitcase type nuclear device that could be set off, and that would deliver an EMP along with a nuclear explosion, and that small EMP would be affecting something something more locally depending on where it was detonated at um, in order to really hit a large region of our country, um, you would have to detonate an EMP device. Very high in our atmosphere, somewhere in the 20 to 40 kilometer range, to create an EMP that was going to hit a major area of the country. I think 100 kilometers uh, was what was needed uh, to to be up to hit all three levels of the EMP impact. Because there's three different pulses that come out of the EMP device or the nuclear device that would be part of the EMP equation, as we as it was explained to us. And they, they did really a great, great job of explaining that is kind of drawing kind of a parallel to one pulse would be similar to lightning and um, just a really good presentation. If anybody's interested in watching, it should be archived for them to see and, and get gather more information.
0: You were talking about this resolution that the American Legion is proposing and wanting to have Pennsylvania join that. Tell us a bit about what's in that resolution. What is it that we would be calling upon Congress to do?
1: My takeaway from the resolution was that the American Legion was raising the profile of the EMP issue to Congress to ensure that Congress was spending the taxpayers' dollars in a way that would protect national interests, protecting and hardening our electric grid against any potential EMP attack by a hostile nation. And, and we, uh, we passed a resolution in the House that was mirrored off of that resolution that I had drafted and then we passed that in the full House of Representatives after we considered it with the committee.
0: We have been talking with State Representative Daryl Metcalf. He is chairman of the House Environmental Resources and Energy Committee about the potential threat of electromagnetic pulse attacks. And Daryl, could you again give us uh, the place on the web where folks can go if they want to learn more about this, perhaps watch the video from the hearing?
1: They can go to my website, repmetcalf.com, and if they can't find the right there to find the archive material, then they can send me a message and we'll be able to direct them to the uh, to the right location.
0: State Representative Daryl Metcalf. And uh, Daryl, uh, sadly, this is probably going to be our last interview with you as you are retiring from the State House here at the end of the session, the end of November. And on behalf of all Pennsylvanians, we want to express our appreciation. You have been one of the foremost defenders of liberty in the House over your career and we certainly wish you much health and success and happiness as you head into retirement. Thank you for your service, sir.
1: Thank you, Loma. That's very uh, very humbling. I appreciate your very kind words. It's been a blessing. I've been thankful to God that he has blessed me with this opportunity over the last 24 years to serve my fellow citizens in the state of Pennsylvania, and I'm going to, uh, going to miss uh, working with you and many others in the capacity that we've been able to work together, but Lord willing, I'll I'll uh, find a new opportunity to uh, continue contributing to the cause of liberty here in our in our great nation.
0: We certainly hope that is the case. State Representative Daryl Metcalf, thank you again for being here.
1: Thank you, Loman. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day.
0: The first in a series of cuts in the state's corporate net income tax will help make Pennsylvania more competitive in the fight to attract new business and jobs. Here to discuss the impact of the tax cut are Eric Montardi and Benjamin Seavers, With an Allegheny Institute report.
2: Hello and welcome to the Allegheny Institute report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. I'm Eric Montardi. Joining me today is Benjamin Sievers, research assistant at the Allegheny Institute. In a recent policy brief, you wrote about the changes that are coming to the corporate net income tax, which is a tax levied by the state of Pennsylvania. And those changes are going to take effect rather soon. Can you give our listeners an idea of what the corporate net income tax is and what changes are coming?
3: The corporate net income tax, or the CNIT, essentially is a tax on corporations who want to do business in Pennsylvania. Definition given by the tax compendium is that the CNIT is a tax paid by all domestic and foreign corporations for the privilege of doing business or employing or owning capital or property in Pennsylvania. The current CNIT is a rate of 9.99%. In previous years, the CNIT revenue averaged $3.3 billion, which is about 10 to 11% of total tax revenue. The change that was enacted in the 2022 to 2023 budget is essentially that the CNIT will be cut by one percentage point in 2023, and every successive year, the CNIT will be cut by 0.5 percentage points until 2031, where the CNIT will sit at a rate of 4.99 percent. Is there an estimate of how much revenue the state
2: will lose as a result of the cuts?
3: Fiscal notes that accompany the budgetary proposals state that from 2022 to 2023 fiscal year the loss in revenue will amount to 202 million dollars. Then for the next year 2023 to 2024 there will be a loss of 225.3 million dollars.
2: How does Pennsylvania's corporate net income tax rate compare to other states?
3: Out of the 44 states that do levy a corporate net income tax, 15 have a marginal corporate income tax rate. What that means is if you're a corporation in New Jersey, top marginal rate is 11.5%, but depending on how much the corporation makes, it may be paying less. Pennsylvania, however, is amongst the 29 states that do levy a single rate. A single rate essentially is if you're a corporation in the state, you pay that rate, and it doesn't vary. Currently, Pennsylvania's corporate net income tax is second highest in the nation, second only to New Jersey's rate of 11.5%. North Carolina is the lowest, setting at a rate of 2.5%. If everything stays the same and the phase down goes as planned, Pennsylvania's rate will be in the lowest 10 in the country, just below Kentucky's rate of 5%, and just above Indiana and Arizona's rate of 4.9%. Out of three states that have a corporate income tax, New York, Maryland, and Delaware, Pennsylvania will become the lowest out of those three, making it one of the lowest in the region. Now, North Carolina is set to completely phase out their corporate net income tax by 2030. This is particularly problematic to Pennsylvania, considering that looking at IRS migration data, many Pennsylvanians are moving to North Carolina. So in order to stay competitive, we might have to lower rates further, make our state more attractive. In addition to North Carolina, there's other states that are realizing The benefits of lowering the corporate net income tax rate, among them Arkansas, Louisiana, New Hampshire, and Oklahoma. And those are just some that are happening within the next year or so. So if Pennsylvania wants to become or remain relatively competitive in the long run, it might want to keep up the, keep up with these other states, especially North Carolina.
2: Benjamin, is it possible that the corporate net income tax reduction in Pennsylvania, could it lead to growth in other taxes that the state levies?
3: Yeah, that that could definitely happen. The estimates that were made were just looking at the CNIT revenue. Look, just looking at that does not give the whole entire picture. If corporations are moving to the state, they're of course selling things, they're they're employing people, and they're doing they're probably doing a lot of other activities as well, and that could lead to an increase in other state taxes, such as the personal income tax or the state sales tax. So, of course, the other taxes might increase. Um, additionally, if it is a concern that this decreases revenue, the state could cut funding into economic development. The corporate net income tax cut is expected to help our economy. So why would you need this why would you need additional economic aid to do so?
2: Yes, it definitely seems like that would be something of a change where it's just a general tax reduction that would benefit all corporations rather than targeting aid towards specific companies and picking winners the way that the state typically does through economic development incentives. From news coverage, Benjamin, it seems like most everybody has been in favor of this corporate net income tax reduction in Pennsylvania. Is that what you found when you were researching the brief?
3: Yeah, business leaders and politicians on both sides of the aisle are, are very supportive of this change. Some of them have even expressed wanting to lower the corporate tax rate even lower than, than this enough at a faster rate. Um, This sentiment is appreciated. We do know that if if we want to stay competitive with, as I said before, North Carolina, we're going to want to kind of mimic them or or follow their example by lowering it close to zero or lowering it less than we already have if we want to remain relatively
2: competitive. Is it possible that because Pennsylvania is rather flush with federal stimulus money, that that's what made this tax cut come about? And if so, what happens when the money runs out is it possible then we could see deviation from what this schedule is that lasts through you know the better part of this decade in terms of the re- the step reductions that you've m- you mentioned earlier
3: yeah definitely the state is flush with COVID aid right now and with the state legislature some state legislators made a comment about how this cut was made possible because of the rainy day fund and there was a, some deposit there were some deposits it's quite large ones into the rainy day fund same thing of the general fund. The general fund had some deposits from COVID aid. I mean, we don't know what, what the long run looks like. Will this cause more expenditures in the future? What happens when the COVID aid expires? It could possibly draw down the budget, draw down the rainy day fund. So who knows? I mean, eventually you might have to make some cuts. And that, this will call into, definitely call into question whether or not the current tax rate cut schedule is sustainable. And, of course, this goes back to, like, this capital stock and franchise tax when they, tried, when they were trying to stick to the schedule for that. It, there are delays and pauses for years.
2: Benjamin, that's great stuff. And we always encourage our listeners to visit our website, www.alleghenyinstitute.org where they can read this brief they can look at our archives. For Benjamin Seavers, this is Eric Montardi, and this has been the Allegheny Institute Report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal.
0: President Biden's executive order transferring student loan debt to taxpayers is a flawed policy done through a flawed process. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity, Pennsylvania, explains why on this Lincoln Radio Journal Commentary.
4: The announcement from President Joe Biden that, via executive order, the administration would transfer hundreds of billions of dollars from taxpayers to those with student loans has caused many Americans from all walks of life to muse about what being a fiscal steward means for themselves individually and what it means for the government. What we do know is the plan amounts to another harmful, politically motivated policy that will push already skyrocketing higher education costs even higher. Student debt forgiveness is just another example of this administration's long track record of pouring taxpayer dollars into a broken system under the guise of helping people but inevitably making things worse. Akash Chugli, Americans for Prosperity's vice president, recently had an op-ed published in Inside Sources. In it, he wrote, all of this is unjust, but the most poisonous part of the plan is that it would entrench higher education's flawed status quo, which has saddled 40 million people with $1.6 trillion in student debt. It is no accident that tuition skyrocketed as the government's role in paying the cost of college expanded. Higher education institutions have no reason whatsoever to rein in costs as long as they see government as a guaranteed payer. Moreover, there is little accountability for how those taxpayer-funded tuition dollars are spent and whether those expenditures even benefit student outcomes. Debt forgiveness undermines any incentive for students to borrow responsibly or choose a major that will adequately prepare them for the workforce and equip them to pay back their loans. What Americans should also be considering in addition to the policy implications of student loan forgiveness is the procedure by which this plan was derived. It exposes the deep rot within our national government. President Biden used executive actions to unveil his three-part plan on student loan policy and did so under the purview of emergency powers. In fact, he used the HEROES Act of 2003, which was enacted in response to the global war on terrorism. It was set to expire in 2005, but Congress extended it and ultimately made it permanent in 2007. In addition, the administration has clearly overstepped into the legislative powers of appropriations. The plan to forgive $10,000 per borrower would cost more than $320 billion and worsen inflation by adding to consumer demand that the economy is already unable to meet. As Akash noted, The Biden administration's plan for student loan forgiveness is nothing but a transfer of the bill to responsible taxpayers who either already worked hard to pay off their loans or don't have them. These are exactly the kind of big government, big spending policies that destroy an economy and divide Americans in the process. We must each renew our commitment to be the watchdog for the treasure of future generations. I'm Ashley Klingensmith, State Director with Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania. Keep up to date with what our team is working on under the domes in D.C. and in Harrisburg by liking us on Facebook, You can find us by searching at P-A-A-F-P and by following us on Twitter by searching at A-F-P-Pennsylvania.
0: If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. For 27 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including WNTP-AM and WFIL-AM in Lafayette Hill, WCNS-AM and FM in La Trobe, along with WJUN-AM in Mexico, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, and the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal, plug into The Pulse of Pennsylvania.